How many of you remember uh, some, sometime, anytime, having read Genesis chapter 3? Anybody ever read Genesis chapter 3? Okay, most everybody has read Genesis chapter 3. Well, you'll recall that in Genesis chapter 3, we read about God walking in the garden in the cool of the afternoon, the cool of the evening. And he really enjoyed doing that with Adam and Eve. And one afternoon, one evening, he's walking in the cool of the garden, but there's no Adam or Eve. And you read, and God called to the man, where are you? Well, we know that Adam and Eve were hiding. Well, then, in Genesis 18, you'll, you'll no doubt remember the time when three men, angels, came to see Abraham and Sarah. And they looked around, and they asked Abraham, where is Sarah? And we know Sarah was hiding in the tent snickering about the idea that she was going to give birth to a child within the next year. And we remember 1 Kings 19. You remember God there before a, a, a cave? And he calls and he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, you and I know Elijah was hiding from Jezebel. When I, when I think about those times, uh, I, it, it's unsettling, but I think about, think back over the few days that I have been on this earth, and I wonder to myself, how many times has God said, where are you, Tom? Hmm. It really hit me, I guess, the hardest. Last year when uh, I was reading Ezekiel, you remember last year when we were reading through the Bible and you read, you remember reading Ezekiel? Well, it was the first time in a long time that I had read Ezekiel from beginning to end continuously. And I had gone a little ways into Ezekiel, and I was struck by two phrases that God kept repeating. I'm going to read just one sample because we hear these two phrases in this particular section, and you, re you hear them throughout Ezekiel. We'll, we'll read this from Ezekiel chapter 6, first seven verses. Listen for two phrases, two terms that you hear God say, which you think or maybe he is emphasizing. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against the mountains of Israel. Prophesy against them and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys. I'm about to bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Your altars will be demolished, and your incense altars will be smashed. I will slay your people in front of your idols. I will lay the dead bodies of the Israelites in front of their idols. And I will scatter your bones around your altars. 
wherever you live, the towns will be laid waste and the high places demolished, so that your altars will be laid waste and devastated, your idols smashed and ruined, your incense altars broken down, and what you have made wiped out. Your people will fall slain among you, and you will know that I am the Lord. And you will know that I am the Lord. I began to notice as I read Ezekiel that frequently God said, Tell the people this is what the sovereign Lord says. And then he would tell the people what was going to happen to them because they had become so idolatrous and prideful and arrogant and disobedient. And at the end of what he said was going to happen to them, he would say, And then they will know that I am the Lord. I was curious, and so I counted. Now, this was not a proctored exercise or exam, so please don't, if you go back and count, and, and your count's a little different, this is just an old Aggie count, an unofficial Aggie count. But I went through Ezekiel, and I counted 213 times that God said, I am the sovereign Lord. Now, if you divide that, oh, man, by 48 chapters, that averages out to 4.4 times per chapter that God said, I am the sovereign Lord. Kind of makes me think maybe that was important for the Israelites to hear at that time. And then he said, that they will know that I am Lord. He said that 66 times. 66 times he said, this will happen, and then they will know that I am the Lord. And I got to thinking, Tom, have you been as slow as the Israelites were? Does it take the Lord 66 times to convince you that he is the Lord? And I became a little concerned about the number of times that maybe God has said, Where are you, Tom? You see, by this time, he knew exactly where the Israelites were. They were beyond the where are you stage. They had already turned their back on God. They had gone the full length of rebellion. Now, sovereign is a word we don't hear very much in our society today. I heard it some growing up. But have you heard the word sovereign very much, very often, in the last 15, 20, 30 years? Not a popular word in our society because sovereign means supreme, supreme authority. That's not real popular in our culture, isn't it? The idea of there being an, a, a supreme authority. If you put it in our everyday vernacular, it could mean, well, God's in control. Sovereign God, God is in control. 
Well, in our culture today, we don't really like for anybody to be in control, do we? Huh. So, Tom, how has this impacted you over the years? And I got to th start, Ezekiel started me thinking, what do I do? What may I do? What can I do to keep me from evolving from the stage of, where are you, Tom, to, Tom, this is going to happen, and then you will know that I am the Lord. What can I do? Well, I came to a conclusion. Uh, a book came to my attention that has been out for a while, and you probably have this book. Uh, and it came to my attention again. An Honest Cry. It's Sermons from the Psalms, edited by Bob Chisholm and Dave Bland. Been out a few years. And this is a book, it is a collection of sermons on various psalms by several of our, of our uh, really good preachers. So I started kind of easing my way through this again, through this book again. And so I, I, I've come to the conclusion that one way that may help me keep from evolving to the point that the Israelites did is to immerse myself in the psalms. I want to just share with you some words from two of these sermons in An Honest Cry. Two men, uh, I know you know one of them, and you may know, some of you will know both of them. Uh, I'm going to share with you some words from Psalm 73, from a sermon written and delivered by Jim Martin, Dr. Jim Martin who preached in Waco for 20 years. He's now vice president with Searcy Graduate School. The other psalm, I'll share some words with you, is Psalm 150 from a sermon by Prentice, Dr. Prentice Metter. You no doubt, many of you, I, I assume, will have read this sermon of the 150th psalm. You may very well have heard sermon, uh, Prentice preach it. But I've, I want to share a little bit of, with with you from each of these sermon, from each of these psalms, Psalm 73 and Psalm 150, because I think that it can help me avoid hearing God ask, "Where are you, Tom?" Psalm 73. You'll recall the author when you began reading Psalm 73, the author's having quite a pity party. It's quite a poor me for several verses. He talks about all of, the, all of the good things that are happening to the people who are arrogant, who are prideful, who are abusive, who are even heathens, and everything works out okay for them. You know, their plans work, they're wealthy, and woe is me. Well, then after he vents for a few verses in Psalm 73, then he turns his attention to God. And it's like daylight and dark. And when he starts talking about God, there are, three, there are four things that I want to share with you that Jim Martin pulls out of this particular psalm. And it's all about being in the presence of God. And Jim makes the point that the psalmist even though he's irritated and upset about all the good stuff happening to all the good, all the bad folks, when it comes to God, this 
author, this psalmist, really does rejoice in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. And I got to thinking, Tom, how often do you think about being in the presence of the Lord? Jim said there are four things that we can gain from being in the presence of the Lord. One, he said, God's presence gives us security. In verse 23 of Psalm 73, the psalmist says, You hold me by my right hand. There's always a time in our lives when security is really good. And we, pro- we try to provide our own security, don't we? But this psalmist said, When I'm in the presence of the Lord, He gives us security. And then he says, God's presence gives us direction. In verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. You guide me with your counsel. We seek counsel from many directions, don't we? Most of us do. Some people don't seek counsel. But most of us do. I I recall, I'll share with you a, a lady... Charlotte Martin, Jim's wife. Uh, there would be times when uh, we would greet each other at, at church and we'd be talking for a little bit. We'd talk for a bit and Charlotte would say, Tom, how are you doing? Well, you tell me, what did I say? Fine. I said, oh, Charlotte, I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. And when we say thank you for asking, what are we doing? Or when you, someone says, thank you for asking, we're being dismissed, aren't we? Yeah, end of subject. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Appreciate your concern. And Charlotte would stand there, and she would smile. She was a calm, polite, or is a calm, polite person. She would smile, and then she would say, So, Tom, how are you really doing? You know... Sometimes, there are times, and there are times, you know, when God's presence gives us direction through others. There are times when God provides the right person at the right time in His presence to give us direction. And the only question is, Tom, are you going to listen? Are you going to listen to that direction? And that counsel. God's presence also gives us assurance. The psalmist said in verse 24, You will take me into glory. Regardless of all the good stuff that appears to be happening with all of the bad folks here, God, I know you are going to take me into glory. And then the fourth thing, God's presence gives us Strength In verse 26, the psalmist said, My flesh and my heart may fail. We're familiar with that, aren't we? We're familiar with the failure of heart and flesh. But, the psalmist said, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
so it behooves me from time to time to go back and read Psalm 73 and to get back in touch with God's presence and take advantage of His direction, His assurance, His strength, His security. Jim wrote these words about this psalm. He said, God, who has our hand, has been active all along through all of our stuff. He's been active all along. God is not finished yet. God is still working out His purposes. God is present today and holds our hand. And I hear my friend Jim saying, just be patient, Tom. Be patient. God's still working. Now let's move to Psalm 150. Some words from Psalm 150. It's a fitting end to the Psalms. It's the last one. And as you recall about Psalm 150, it's all about praise, as are many of the Psalms. And Prentice was really into that in this particular sermon. In the beginning, you'll recall, he talked about how many times, and he said he himself included, and me, me included, we're a little nervous when we hear people proclaiming, praise the Lord, and other praises to God. Prentice wrote these words about the Psalms and this one. Why do the Psalms never wear thin? Part of the answer is that the Psalms have an elevated sense of worship. Kind of sounds like a little bit about like God in control, doesn't it? The Psalms have an elevated sense of worship. God is center stage. Nowhere is this clearer than at the close of the book. We now move to the fitting crescendo of Psalms, which ends the Psalms. And then listen to what Prentice says here. To become fluent in the language of praise. Not sure I've ever thought about it as the language of praise. Prentice said, to become fluent in the language of praise, I must learn the language of the Psalms. If I want to learn the language through which God feels praised, Prentice says, learn the language of the Psalms. Enough of trying to teach myself. That just led to dilemma, confusion, and misunderstanding. And do I understand that? I want to leave with you some suggestions from Prentice about the Psalms and learning the language of praise. Prentice said, if you want to learn the language of praise, here's his suggestion about how to go about it. He said, number one, read five Psalms a day. Two, read the book of Psalms once a month, 12 times a year. I said, okay, I read that. I said, okay, I say five, five a day, 150 divided by five. And you know what Maggie Math said? If I read five Psalms a day, I'll read the whole Psalms in a month. Yeah, that's not bad, it's not hard. Good idea, Prentice, good idea. January 1, 2018. 
I started. I didn't make it through the month, and I'd fallen off the wagon. I thought, well, there must be something here. There must be something I'm missing. So I went back the other day, and I read the rest of Prentice's recipe again. I read it all in the beginning, but I stopped after number one and number two. Number three, read slowly until you can almost quote it. Oh, come on, Prentice. Read slowly. Read slowly. <clears throat> Reminds me of the fellow who was weeding his backyard flower bed. Since the presence, he turned around and looked, and an old dog had wandered into his yard and was just sat down beside him. Well, he finished weeding the flower bed, put up the tools, and he went into the house through the back door. When he went through the back door, that old dog went through with him. You know how a dog will do that? They'll just get up against your leg, and they'll just go through the door with you. That's what that old dog did. Old dog looked around, saw the couch. He walked over to the couch, jumped up on it, laid down, took a nap. Slept for an hour. An hour later, he gets up, and he goes over to the door, and he looks back at the gentleman, and the man gets up, and he goes over, opens the door, the old dog leaves. Next day, same time, the old dog's back again. He opens the door, he goes in, he gets on the couch, takes a nap, leaves, same way. Every day, the old dog shows up, takes a nap on the couch. After the fourth day, when the old dog left, the man attached a note to the collar and says, each day, your dog comes to my house and takes a nap. Next day, the old dog's there again. There's another note, a different note attached to, the count, to his collar. The man removes the note, reads the note, and the note says, he lives in a house with four kids. He comes to your house to rest. And then the last sentence of the note said, may I come with him tomorrow? So, Prentice and old dogs understand the wisdom in going slowly. Prentice said, read slowly. And then he said, take special note of the verbs that express emotions, feelings, and attitudes. Oh, Prentice, emotion, feelings? I gotta look for feelings while I'm while I'm reading the, the, the I gotta look for feelings. And then he says, look for the word pictures that paint life scenes. Tom, look for the word pictures so you can see into the lives of what's being discussed. Look for special emphasis about life, God, and righteous living. And then he said, use the exact language of the Psalter in personal praise to God. Now, as I read the rest of the steps and thought about it, it I realized, you see, I am a task-focused person. I'm a task-focused person. You can ask Susie. I am a task-focused person. Drives her up the wall sometimes because I'm still on task A instead of somewhere else. So number one, number two made great sense to me. Man, five, five a day, and we'll have the Psalms done in a month. And it was done. 
but I still didn't have any of the language of the Psalms. I didn't have the language of praise because it was like a task. And Prentice is suggesting, when you read all of the suggestion, he's saying, experience the Psalms. Experience, become, Tom, become a little more experience-focused. Slow down. Get into the psalmist's feelings. Look at the pictures of God painted by the psalmist. Listen to the phrases that the psalmist is using when the psalmist praises God. And then, Tom, use those same phrases when you're talking to God. Use those same phrases because God likes to hear those phrases. God likes to hear praise that way. Really interesting. Very interesting. And so I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. And I'm going to try to slow down. And I'm going to try to experience it a little bit more. And that's what the elders have been asking us to do with this neighbor thing. You know, I can be task-focused in meeting my neighbors. You know, I can meet all three of my neighbors, one, two, and three. I can, ha- I can have that done in ten minutes. I can knock on their door, meet them, and I can move on to the next one. If I'm task-focused, I can knock that out in nothing flat. But if I'm going to approach it as an experience to really kind of get to know the person and understand the person and let them kind of understand, let them see the presence of God with me, then I need to move a little more slowly. It needs to be less of a task and more of an experience. So I'm going to try to slow down. Now, I've already <clears throat> used the word try, and that's not good. You know. So I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down and experience things a little more. And hopefully, hopefully, there will be fewer times in the future when God says, where are you, Tom? Fewer times when I don't show up. There'll be fewer times when I'm too busy. Fewer times when I'm distracted. Fewer times when God says, where are you, Tom? Holy God, we thank you so much for all of your blessings. And we ask you, Father, to please be patient with us when we fail to claim you as our sovereign Lord. We ask you, Father, to help us immerse ourselves in your word and in your spirit and help us to be comfortable in your presence. We ask you, God, to give each one of us this week an opportunity to show you to another person in a meaningful way. And, Father, please give us the strength to take advantage of that opportunity. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.